Chapter One of Peggy Raymond's Way or Blossom Time at Friendly Terrace by Harriet Loomis Smith. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter One What's in a Name? It was the first day of the spring vacation and amy lassell had spent it sewing to be frank it had not measured up to her idea of a holiday self-indulgence was amy's besetting weakness her dearest friend peggy raymond was never happy unless she was busy at something but amy loved the luxury of idleness yet although indolence appealed so strongly to amy's temperament to do her justice she was generally able to turn a deaf ear to its call the first of summer after america's entry into the war she had enlisted in the land army along with peggy and priscilla and then in the fall had taken up her work at the local red cross headquarters serving in an unpaid position as conscientiously as if she had received a salary and was depending on it for her bread and butter after a strenuous year with the red cross amy had entered college with ruth wiley neither girl had expected to enter till after the close of the war and amy was continually harping upon the respect which the young and unsophisticated freshmen were bound to feel for classmates of such advanced years. But Nelson Hallowell's discharge from the service had altered the aspects of affairs. Ruth had pledged herself to keep Nelson's position for him till he should return, and Amy had promised to wait for Ruth. The wound which had kept Nelson in the hospital less than a month had nevertheless incapacitated him for military service. Heavy-hearted, he had returned to his job at the bookstore, while ruth and amy had immediately made their plans for entering college just two years behind peggy and priscilla after her months of hard study the first day of spring vacation found amy at the sewing machine which in itself was sufficient proof that whatever her natural bias in the direction of indolence her will was more than a match for that tendency as a matter of fact she was the only one of the friendly terrace quartet to spend the day in unremitting industry peggy and ruth had gone off with graham for the day priscilla was entertaining an out-of-town guest but amy resolution manifest in every line of her plump little figure was sewing for dear life though the armistice had been signed months before there still remained foes to fight as the girls had promptly discovered the reaction from economy and hard work had come in the shape of an orgy of extravagance and frivolity the high war prices were continually going higher as dealers realized that people would get what they wanted regardless of price the four friendly terrace girls after an afternoon of shopping which had ended in the purchase of a box of hairpins and two spools of thread had returned home to hold a council of war the only way to bring prices down is to stop buying things declared peggy with all the authority of a college junior i don't know as i have anything to make over but if i have nothing new for me this spring amy sighed i've just been luxuriating in the thought of a lot of new dresses she said mournfully don't you know how after you've been dieting all at once you're hungry for cream chicken and pineapple fritters and chocolate with whipped cream and strawberry sundaes all rolled into one and that's just the way i feel about clothes but i suppose it will end in my making over my blue taffeta i've two or three summer dresses that will do very well if i make the skirt scanty said ruth they're too full for this season they talked on seriously, planning their little economies, as if they expected unaided to bring down the high cost of living. They were not the sort of girls who follow the crowd unthinkingly, nor had any of them contracted the fatal habit of asking, What can one do? The program they outlined would have resulted in a general lowering of prices in a month's time, if everyone had agreed to it, 
and it did not occur to them that public indifference excused them from doing their little part toward combating a serious evil and that was how it happened that amy lassell had spent the spring day sewing the blue taffeta had been ripped and pressed in anticipation of the vacation leisure and as soon as the breakfast dishes were out of the way amy had commandeered the dining-room table as a cutting table with the help of a paper pattern she had remodelled the taffeta according to the latest dictates of fashion caution suggested that it would be advisable to wait for assistance in the fitting but having basted the breadths together and surveyed her reflection in the mirror amy had been so favourably impressed that she had gone to work energetically stitching up seams like many people whose natural tendency is the direction of indolence amy was capable of relentless industry almost as though she were afraid that if once she halted she might not get her courage to the point of starting again she swallowed a hasty luncheon and rushed back to her sewing her eyes grew tired her back ached she became nervous and hot and impatient so that breaking a thread or dropping a thimble seemed almost a calamity and yet she did not stop it was after five when she laid her work reluctantly aside amy's responsibility for the day were not limited to the blue taffeta as in many another household the domestic service problem had become acute in the lassell establishment during the last few years incapable servants demanding preposterous wages had been replaced by others equally incompetent and there had been interims when it had been difficult to secure so much as a laundress amy and her mother had learned a good many shortcuts to achievement and had accepted the frequent necessity of doing their own work with a philosophy of which they would have been incapable in pre-war times on this day of vacation amy was without a servant and without a mother as well for mrs lassell had left home that morning not to return till nearly bedtime at five o'clock the realization that she must prepare her father's supper forced itself on amy's attention it was not a formidable responsibility for at breakfast that morning mr lassell had informed her that he was to take a customer out to lunch and would be satisfied with very little for the evening meal amy meant to take him at his word there was cold meat quite enough for two she thought and some potatoes to fry and her father did not care much for dessert accordingly amy had waited till five o'clock before she laid down her sewing and then she realized for the first time how very tired she was a glimpse of herself in the mirror emphasized her certainty that it was high time to stop amy's fair hair was dishevelled her plump cheeks brilliantly pink there were dark lines under her eyes eloquent of weariness amy regarded herself with extreme disfavor looks as if i'd taken up rouge in my old age and i positively must do my hair over i can't ask even poor patient daddy to look at such a frowsy head all through supper oh well he won't mind if i am a little late encouraging herself with this reflection amy bathed her burning cheeks combed her hair hastily and slipped into a little gingham gown which if somewhat faded and passe had at least the merit of being fresh and clean it buttoned in the back and by virtue of much twisting and stretching amy finally succeeded in securing the middle button which for a time had defied her efforts and just as she did so the door-bell rang amy went placidly downstairs she had no apprehensions about the door-bell she took it for granted that it was somebody to collect for the newspaper or an old clothes-man or else a friend so intimate that she could ask her into the kitchen while she made her supper preparations as she reached the door she realized her mistake of the two young people waiting admission she had met the sister several times the brothers she knew merely by sight for the family had moved into the neighborhood only recently 
for a moment amy's mood was one of unqualified dismay she wanted to turn and run with lightning rapidity she compared her faded gingham with the stylish frock setting off the girlish graceful figure of hildegard carey and hildegard's brother robert if looking a trifle bored was immaculately attired amy recollected that in her absorption of the blue taffeta she had neglected to dust the living-room that morning amy opened the door with a smile that poorly concealed her anguish of spirit her flickering hope that hildegard had made a mistake in the number was dissipated by the composure of hildegard's greeting the two young people entered as amy realized without waiting to be asked and in the hall hildegard performed the ceremony of introduction come right in said amy with a misleading air of cordiality she wondered if she had better apologize for the undusted living-room but decided against it perhaps they would overlook it though robert carey impressed her as one who would notice the least little thing out of the way amy decided that the young fellow's handsome face was almost spoiled by its discontented expression another shock came when she said to hildegard let me take your coat she expected hildegard to reply that the coat was light and that she did not mind it for the few minutes she had to stay but on the contrary she not only removed her coat but slipped off her gloves unpinned her hat and added it to the collection amy carried into the hall with a growing sense of stupefaction any one would think she told herself that she was an old friend come to spend the day perhaps amy's perplexity partly explained the fact that the next half-hour dragged amy was not her usual entertaining self she thought of the dust showing gray against the shining mahogany of the piano she thought of her faded gingham she heard herself talking stupidly unnaturally and chiefly about the weather robert carey looked more bored than ever at half-past six her father came in he glanced at the group in the living-room as he entered and amy hastily summoned him her guests must realize that when the man of the house came home it was time to leave amy introduced her father pulled out an armchair invitingly and mr lassell seated himself it was from him that his daughter had inherited her sense of humor and on this occasion he made himself much more entertaining than amy had done the conversation became almost animated the clock in the hall struck seven tolling out the note sonorously everyone seemed to be listening to it and amy flushed it was almost as if the clock had said time to go home time to go home and then to her horror her father turned toward her inquiringly hadn't you better put on the supper my dear he asked your friends will be getting hungry for an agonized half-minute amy vainly tried to think of something she could say to soften the blow she was magnanimous enough to acquit her father of all blame seeing them sitting there at that hour especially as hildegard had taken off her hat he had innocently assumed that they had been invited to dinner and of course his blunder was equivalent to saying that they had stayed longer than was proper or desirable then amy's head whirled again her guests did not spring to their feet as she had expected them to do protesting that they had not dreamed it was so late indeed they sat quite still only murmuring a polite disclaimer of being hungry with the force of a blow the realization came over amy that they had accepted her father's tacit invitation they were going to stay to supper amy rose murmuring something unintelligible and got out of the room quickly oh if peggy were only home peggy who had such a faculty for evolving something savory and appetizing from the least promising materials amy's cooking until recently had been confined to chafing-dish delicacies and candy it was too late she realized to add to her scanty stores she must feed four people with what had seemed barely enough for two and must do it quickly 
Mechanically, she lighted the oven of the gas stove. She remembered there was a can of tomato soup in the house, and the cold meat, sliced very thin, might possibly pass muster. She herself would refuse meat. Luckily, there was a generous plateful of potatoes. Creamed with a little cheese grated over them, they would be appetizing and filling. She could make baking powder biscuit. Amy excelled in baking powder biscuit. And there was honey to eat with them. For dessert she would fall back on preserved peaches and some leftover fruitcake. It was a queer, hit-or-miss meal, not a company repast in any sense of the word, but the best she could do under the circumstances. It was while the biscuits were browning in the oven, and Amy was hastily setting the table for four, that her native common sense reasserted itself. After all, her thoughts ran, if people take potluck, they can't expect to find things just as they would be if they were especially invited. They've seemed real friendly, and if they like me well enough to stay to a pick-up supper, the first time they've ever set foot in my home, I ought to meet them halfway. I can't give them much to eat, but I don't need to be quite as stupid as I've been for the last hour. And so it came about that when the guests were summoned to the dining-room, they encountered a very different hostess from the one who had entertained them previously. A hostess who twinkled and sparkled and kept them laughing. It seemed to Amy that when she had removed the soup plates and brought in the sliced meat and cream potatoes, she had seen an expression of astonishment flicker across Hildegard's face. But she resolutely put the thought aside and continued to make herself agreeable. The baking powder biscuits had risen nobly to the occasion. Amy thought them the best she had ever made, and she saw with relief that the bored expression had disappeared from Robert Carey's face, and that he really seemed to be enjoying himself. Then suddenly, into the midst of all this gaiety, Hildegard dropped a bomb in the shape of a question. "'What happened to detain Isabel?' "'Isabel?' "'Yes, Isabel Vincent, you know.' "'I'm afraid,' Amy hesitated, "'that I don't know any one of that name.' Apparently the meal had come to a full stop. "'Why?' Hildegard cried. "'The Isabel Vincent who attended the Pelham School when I was there.' She was so insistent that Amy unconsciously became apologetic. "'I'm sorry, but I can't say I remember such a girl. Did she ever say she had met me?' "'Why?' Hildegard almost screamed. "'Didn't you ask her here to-night to meet her?' "'To meet Isabel Vincent? Why, I never heard of her.' "'There's some mistake,' exclaimed Robert. He had just helped himself to a fifth baking-powder biscuit, but he laid it down unbuttered. "'You've made some mistake,' he informed his sister. Hildegard ignored him and addressed herself to Amy. "'Didn't you telephone me this morning?' "'I—why, to tell the truth, no, I didn't.' Then it was a disgusting practical joke. Someone called me up about eleven o'clock and said that she was Amy Lassell and that Isabel Vincent was to stop here twenty-four hours on her way to New York from her home in Chicago. And then she invited Bob and me to dinner to meet Isabel. There wasn't anything in her manner to give me an idea it was a hoax. But Amy had found the clue. Oh, did Isabel come from Chicago? Then I know. It was Avery Zoll who telephoned you but I don't know her. She went away to boarding school. Yes, it was the Pelham School, I'm sure. And I know she has a friend from Chicago visiting her. Probably the Vincent girl spoke of knowing you. And Avery called you up. Oh, dear, groaned Amy with a sudden change of countenance. What's the matter? demanded Bob Carey, still ignoring his biscuit. I've cheated you out of a regular feast. The Zolls have a wonderful cook. You'd have had broiled chicken and fresh mushrooms, and I don't know what beside, and I've given you cold meat, and—' "'You've given us the best biscuits I ever ate,' 
said Bob, and buttered his fifth, but his sister had turned pale. I don't believe anyone ever did such a dreadful thing before. Here we descend on you without warning, and simply forced you to invite us to stay. Happy escape, I think, said Bob. If there's anything I hate, it's these social stunts Hildegard's crazy about. The only dreadful part, said Amy, reassuring the distressed Hildegard, is that you've exchanged a perfectly gorgeous dinner for a pick-up supper. But what must Miss, Miss Zoll think of me? She must know there's some mistake. Probably they're not waiting dinner any longer, and it's after eight o'clock. Oh, groaned Hildegard, I never was so mortified. What am I going to do? It seems to me you'd better finish your supper such as it is, suggested Amy, and then you can call up Avery Zoll and explain your mistake. She'll see that the names sound alike over the phone, and after that there'll be plenty of time to see your friends. Seems to me, suggested Bob, that as long as we've started the evening here, we might as well put it through. His eyes met Amy's with a twinkle that was like a spark to tinder. Amy struggled for a moment, then gave way to peals of laughter. Oh, she gasped when at length she could find her voice. What must you have thought of me inviting you to dinner and then coming down in this odd, faded gingham? And what must you have thought of me? Hildegard cried, coming at such an hour and calmly taking off my hat. The dust was thick over everything, giggled Amy. I've been sewing every minute all day long, and I warned father to expect a light meal. I should have known I had made a mistake, Hildegard lamented, when you never said a word about Isabel. I don't know how I could have been so ridiculously stupid." But for all her dismay she laughed. Indeed, if laughter aids digestion, there was little danger that Amy's biscuits would disagree with anyone, even Robert, who had dispatched such an extravagant number. While Amy cleared the table and brought in the dessert, Hildegard went to the phone and explained matters to a young woman whose preliminary stiffness melted as Hildegard reviewed the situation. And then Hildegard hurried back to inform her brother that they must go over as soon as he had finished. She was as sweet as she could be but she said they had waited dinner an hour. "'So it's up to you to gobble and git,' quoted Amy, dishing out the preserves with a lavish hand. "'I'm not going to be hurried over that fruit cake,' declared Bob. "'It carries me back to the merry Christmas time. "'It ought to, for it's a Christmas cake. "'But it's been kept in a tin box with an apple, and I hope it isn't dry. "'It was all I had in the cake line.' Amy paused to laugh again. "'I really must stop,' she exclaimed, wiping her moist eyes. They say laughing at mealtime makes one fat, and I don't dare risk another pound. Can't have too much of a good thing, declared Bob Carey, with a significant glance at the flushed face. Strictly speaking, Amy was perhaps the least pretty of the four friendly terrace girls, but good humor has a charm, and a face radiant with fun can hold its own against discontented beauty any day. There was such frank admiration in the look the young man bent upon her, that Amy's cheeks grew hot with unwanted self-consciousness. The brother and sister left with evident reluctance. "'Now we've had dinner with you,' said Hildegard. "'You must dine with us very soon.' "'Oh, this doesn't deserve to be counted,' Amy laughed. "'I'll ask you again some day, and show you what I can do if I really try.' "'No, don't,' pleaded Bob. "'Have us again when you're going to have a biscuit. It's so much jollier to be informal than to work the society racket.' And then Hildegard carried him off, protesting that, if they didn't hurry, Avery Zoll would not believe a word of her excuse. Amy found her father clearing the table. She put on her long apron and joined him, chattering excitedly as she worked. "'No full garbage can tonight, Daddy. Every dish is scraped clean. I suppose I ought to feel crushed over setting such a meal before people I hardly knew, 
but somehow i don't her father smiling responsive to her high spirit shook his head it isn't much to set good food before folks amy any waiter in a restaurant can do that give people the best of yourself and you don't need to worry about your bill of fare end of chapter one